I have in my grubby little paws a book that everybody on Twitter is raving about. It's called Brand Schizo. What a fabulous title. The author is a guy called Mike Stopforth, and he's got a bold vision for corporations in the 21st century. It's a quote from Graham Codrington, who's a listener to the show. Hello, Graham. Uh, but he's a futurist. Graham Codrington is one of the best public speakers you will come across in the world of trying to uh, understand the future. And I suppose Brand Schizo is all about that. But it's all about, as I understand it, you've just handed me the book, nicely written in. Thank you, Mike. Um, uh, which, which is all saying, hold on a second, we're operating in a, in a parallel universe at the moment. We've got corporations, many of which have been around in, in South Africa for nearly 200 years, and then we've got an online presence. And the two just don't connect. Yes, I think they do connect by virtue of necessity. Yeah. What they don't do is align, right? So we've got, we've got corporations that, like you say, are juggernauts of commercial success. They um, are undeniably brilliant at what they do. Um, but we also can't deny that the music outside is changing, right? So mm-hmm. regardless of how exceptionally good they are at uh, those processes or systems that have been the fundamental constructs of their industrial age businesses for years, this new world, this social era of business, I think fundamentally challenges those principles. And you're talking about it from the fact that you've, you are the, the chief executive of Cerebra. It's a digital agency. You operate in that digital world. You operate the new space. Yeah, I guess so. But, but you're trying to connect the old world with the new world. That's exactly yeah. it. Right? We're trying to facilitate a, a narrowing of the gap between, I guess, the promises that our, our customers, corporate brands, are making in social platforms and what they're able to realistically deliver behind the scenes. Because I guess the truth is that the risk in that gap is far greater than having no social media presence whatsoever. Rather don't be on Twitter than make the mistake of making a promise that you can't deliver on. Let's take it into the real world. Let's take it to an example this week. I have no idea if Standard Bank is a client of yours, but let's go there. Um, Standard Bank Monday, um, lots of technology went at Standard Bank and people couldn't use point-of-sale devices. They couldn't use uh, the ATM network. They couldn't go online. They couldn't use the app. Uh, And Standard Bank spent the day doing crisis management on Monday. Uh, Monday night, they told us everything was fixed and as these things are want to happen it wasn't fixed and there's still problems on tuesday up until about this time last night when finally they said we're fixed even then some people said they weren't um but, but that's the great difficulty isn't it you've got a real world problem with real world technology that delivers a physical experience to me as the customer and on the other side you're trying to placate people who are saying terrible things about you um, in public i've got to sympathize with standard bank i mean they're not a client i have a deep amount of respect for them but uh the, you know here we are as corporations desperately trying to embody the complexity uh, of the business in a single brand voice on a platform like Twitter or Facebook or whatever it may be. And inherent to that, I guess, is the struggle around we desperately want to be liked and we want to come across as a humane, likable, uh, 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 empathetic uh, uh, human, I guess. And the challenge, though, is that, that, as you say, these things do happen and, and companies, we're realizing, are very fallible. I guess the differentiator then is how you own th- that failure. It's how you, how transparent you are or how authentic you are in your engagement around those mistakes that are going to be made at some point in time or another. I, mean, I forget the, the meltdown that R.B. Jacobs had, but R.B. Jacobs like, didn't shout it at a customer or something. And well, people I, went up apoplectic. So, so, uh, do, we, do we forgive less in the online space? Absolutely. So, so, I mean, I guess it wasn't a meltdown at all. It was one single uh, 
absolutely idiotic tweet by by an individual. Unfortunately, it was the, all it was all about is, is somebody was bashing somebody on the head or something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, but I mean, this is a brand, desert, and yeah. again, F and B, great deal of respect for them. They are facilitating ten thousands of uh, ten thousand client conversations every day on these platforms. Um, to make that one mistake and to judge them purely mm. by that, as no, opposed absolutely. to all the good, would be, I guess, a shame. But it's, we tend to do that. It's because the one why? you remember because we love <laughs> F and B, or we love Woolworths, or we we have an affinity for these brands, and they make promises that we believe. And when the gap between what they promise and what they deliver is huge, we feel more pain. Do companies take more risk by being as public as they are? So Woolworths seems, seems to get a lot more flack because basically people have a high expectation of Woolworths. Yes, yeah, sure. um, Many more Woolworths customers are probably on smartphones maybe than ShopRite customers are um, and are more demanding of their brand perhaps. Sure, I guess there is a case to be made for not having a presence. I mean, Apple one of the most loved brands in the world doesn't have a distinct social media presence. Is especially it not? Online. No. Um, and it doesn't need it. The uh, media does it for free. The hype that comes ahead of the loss so, right? Uh, well, yeah. marketing is the price you pay for a bad product, right? So, <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> so, so the other side of that coin, right, is, is, I mean, even locally, we've got brands like Nando's who have for many years opted not to engage proactively in the space. Only recently, I've sort of, and this is a brand that we love, right? I don't think any client said, I will not order chicken tonight because Nando's are not on Twitter. So for me, it's more about, yes, there's obvious risks, absolutely, but also there are great opportunities, and there are great opportunities to showcase the humanity of of our businesses, our complex uh, uh, businesses through these interfaces. The challenge is how we do that on a day-to-day basis, and that speaks to scalability. That speaks Mm. to the ability to staff for that, to educate people for that. That's where the big challenge is, right, because this is not an inherent skill. Companies were not built for for conversation we were built for broadcast we were built to tell people what to think about us we were built to tell people what to think about our brands and today it's not what we tell people that determines our brand it's what people tell their friends right (laughs) it's terrifying (laughs) um okay so five disconnects then um now that we've established the the framework uh, between the real world and the digital world and it's about uh, brands making promises and they do make promises in the digital world that are very hard to make happen in the physical world well, I think brands have always made promises that are difficult to deliver on. I mean, marketing, again, and I sound very critical, but I am a marketer, so I feel like mm. I can criticize the marketers. But for many years, marketing was simply a veneer on the front of the business, a lipstick on a pig, if you like. And I think what's changed is that we're being held to account by a consumer that can publish, and not just an, a consumer, an employee that can publish. And as our consumers and employees become publishers, so we realize that the, these these painful gaps between what mm-hmm. we promise and what we deliver are exposed, but exposed in an exponential way that wasn't in existence before. It's deeply uncomfortable when you go into a shop and there's somebody standing at the customer service desk and they are apoplectic. Sure. But that is isolated to the 10 embarrassed people in the shop. Absolutely. You do that in a social media space and if you do it well, that message has an incredible amount of potential reach. Sure. If you complain well, it does. And also if you resolve well, it does. So, so the counter argument mm. is that companies that show a great um, uh, uh, propensity for solving those issues also benefit from the positive PR around those actions. Do we, though, as customers, do we behave differently? And I know the answer to this because I see the way people behave online versus in the real world. In the real world, you may be a little bit more reserved. You may be a little bit more constrained. There is a consequence to what you say. In the digital world, people treat it as a non, as there's there's a high degree of anonymity. See, this is a bizarre notion for me, Bruce. The 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 ability of some people. I mean, the the 
the gumption that some people have to publish things that they say about companies or about individuals online that they would never say to those individuals face to face is just rife. And, and, and the cowardice of never attaching a real identity sure, to it. They'll so put a pseudonym up. Or there, I yeah. think, and I mean, perhaps here's another book, right? I think there's a case to be made for conscientious consumerism. There, yeah. There's a responsibility, sure. as Uncle Bed said in Spider Man, with great power, <laughs> social media power comes great responsibility, right? And I guess we've got to learn as consumers that our credibility will often be determined by – I mean, if you're the guy that complains about every brand every day, eventually Completely. it's the cry wolf scenario. But, I mean, if you, if you show uh, credibility and you show integrity and then you do complain, it will hold far more credence and I think will have far – more meaningful an impact when it does happen. Mm, absolutely. It's the credibility of the complaint too. Sure. Uh, and then people in the little real world, they, 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 they do exercise extraordinary influence. Um, and there are key influences. There are certain bloggers who blog seriously about this stuff who are the power brokers almost of the 21st century. Yeah, so I think this is one of the tougher ones for companies to grapple with, right? Because, I mean, well, in the past... It's got a special word. What's it called? Well, I, I guess, uh, well, it would be influencers or, or pseudo-celebrity, and I'm stealing a word from a gentleman Su- called... Pseudo-celebrity, you condense it into... Celebrity. Celebrity, I love it. Which I stole, unapologetically, from a gentleman called Mike Sharman, who's also a genius in the space. But So what we've seen is in the past, you know, you would you would use marketing to speak to the general public, and you would use PR to speak to influencers, the media, the gatekeepers of influence who are the media. Today, there's all sorts of degrees between those two uh, traditional uh, stakeholders of influence. And, and, and one of the challenges, I think, for companies is that it's very difficult to measure the influence of somebody beyond the data that we have around them, their salary or how often they've interacted with us or whatever. There's individuals online that have monumental impact that is disproportionate to their earnings. Um, and, and that's exciting for me, right? But, but what's quite scary for companies is there's no way of knowing who that person is and what their reach is when they phone a call center no. or then work into, walk into a branch or speak to a broker. That's but, but, which is why companies should treat everybody equally. Um, you know, you, uh, you know. So I don't necessarily believe that. There is a case for that. Um, Why don't you I, believe it, though? Because I think there still is a bias. There'll be a bias always, right? And it's virtually impossible for us to scale this misnomer of customer centricity. But what I do see happening is that um, we're starting to be much smarter about how we engage people online that have a hell of a lot of influence. I mean, if you had to complain about, hypothetically, uh, a, a motor vehicle brand, they would probably pay you a little bit more attention than, let's say, me or some random in the street or whatever it may be. And that, that is a bias of its own, right? And it's around influence. That's not a new uh, dynamic. Mm. So I don't necessarily think we have to treat everyone equally. What we have to do is treat everyone transparently and authentically. Yeah. I think that's the key. Is thing. it possible to be authentic in a digital medium? Because well, it, it, but by its own nature, it's artificial. Great question, right? I, I guess any customer that asks me the question is, is it possible for us to be transparent or authentic? The only question I'd ask is, what have you got to hide? Yeah. And if there is something to hide, then I guess what we know inherently about most businesses that have a lot to hide is at some point in time, that comes out, right? Yeah. So, so the truth has a nasty way of coming out. And, and, and inevitably, when it does, it's far more painful than, I guess, if some of those um, shortcomings were owned proactively up front. So whether it's individuals or corporations or the actions of our past that we're being held to account, the, the, the nature of social media is it does tend to expose, <laughs> as we've recently discussed, yes. to the detriment of our poor uh, celebrities in, in Hollywood, uh, it does tend to expose our darkness, right? Mm. And, and the challenge for companies is how to own that in, in, in a way that, that minimizes the damage. You also talked about employees within organizations, and sure. we see quite a lot of corporate disloyalty going on, especially amongst a new generation of employees that companies are struggling to deal with because these people, crazy kids, have got ideas of their own. Yeah, you see, now there's a lot of conversation around brands and how they engage consumers on social media and not enough for me about how companies engage 
engage their employees using these types of platforms. And for me, it's more, it's not so much about the technology, it's more about how I think we're starting to see a generation of young people that have grown up defining themselves by their digital interactions and their digital personality and using principles like conversation and accountability and radical trust and vulnerability and sharing as the premise for that 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 identity. Now they get shipped into an organization that functions on process, system, policy, <laughs> hierarchy. Those are good things. They're, they're good things. They're they're just, fine, but that's like but they're, they're different things, Greek. Right? They're different things. Yeah. So it's just, for me, it's, it's mm. like our, our in information age uh, reality is butting heads with our industrial age legacy, right? Neither are wrong. They're just fundamentally different. So how then do businesses do it? Because businesses have, on the one hand, got to operate in the process world in order to, to stay solvent, but somehow they've also got to embrace a new world. Yes, yeah, so number and which, one. Which comes down to the title of the book, they, which they is buy a book, right? Brand <laughs> schizo, so and, and it's about having almost a dual personality sure sure so so number one they buy the book right so uh, of course you buy the book <laughs> but, the but book let me take a picture of the book and tweet it do that that'd be go. fantastic so, right, so i think one of the ways that we do it is is to stop expecting the technology to solve the problem a client said to me the other day mike people are complaining about us because of facebook i said they're not complaining about you because of facebook they're complaining they're about complaining you because about you're you. terrible <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not the facebook, reality right? so, so the, the great challenge is not expecting the technologies to solve the problems like we can't deploy yammer and internal Facebook in the business and expect people to collaborate. How we embody principles of collaboration in the organization is far more important than simply deploying a piece of software. I mean, that was the failure of ERP in the 90s. We expected the software to solve the problem. In fact, there are entire industries that exist to solve that problem still. So, But, but do you find when people come through your door and they've got a, a, they've got a, a wonderful or a terrible real world problem and they come to say, fix this. And it's like, mm, I can't fix that. Well, I generally would say, how much money do you have? And then we, <laughs> we continue the conversation from there. But. But, but you can't fix the problems. You can fix a perception of the problem if the problem itself is repaired. Again, so, so the, for me, the, the focus is not on eradicating or pre- pretending that the problem doesn't exist. It's narrowing the gap between what we promise and what we deliver. So, so I keep talking to my clients around consistency. And it seems like a very fundamental human truth. But if you if you pretty average as a brand and as a business, then be consistently pretty average, but, but be transparent about it. Where we feel pain is where brands make big promises, cash big checks, or at least write big checks that they can't cash. And that's, that's, that's what they don't seem to understand is that they look at social media as being an opportunity to reach huge audiences virally or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and not understanding that this customer is going, look, it's all fair and well that you have the special and I'm really pleased to hear that you've got this new promotion. But if you don't fix that issue with my home loan soon, you know, and, and that's the disconnect, right? So, so it forces us. And I think this is a good thing to acknowledge the brokenness of the organization. You know? mm-hmm. Hypothetically, this is the cure for the corporate cancer, right? And, and, and what we'll do if we're smart as organizations is be humble enough to access that data and that information and process it internally. I was at a conference sometime last year and um, the marketing guy stood up and says, we're going to create a viral campaign. And I just went... You don't create a viral campaign. No, you don't. A campaign goes viral because it's wonderful or it's awful and it goes viral for the wrong reasons. I mean, there is a fundamental misunderstanding or a lack of understanding of of what really goes on in this parallel universe, which is the digital world. But again, Bruce, this is not a new thing, right? There's a fantastic book that I read the other day called The Victorian Internet that looks at some of the impacts of the telegraph on politics and uh, you mean the, the Morse code, yeah, yeah, Morse code, right? Yeah. On on society and religion and politics and and business and commerce and and it, it draws parallels between the appear or the, the the appearance of the internet and and the telegraph and and 
the only difference between the impacts on society is the timeline, right? So we've just had a faster timeline, basically because of the, the, the level of access and uh, how quickly this thing spreads. But, but the principles are the same. These are not new things. And I'm also, I'm not promoting new learnings for companies. I'm asking them to acknowledge fundamental human principles that arguably the Industrial Age Corporation has been astonishingly good at destroying. <laughs> and it's not because it's a bad thing. We just yeah. are, we're just very good at making money at the expense of people. I think companies in the future will need to learn to make money as a byproduct of happy people. And I know that sounds very hippie, but but I don't think it's all that radical, right? I was having this conversation earlier on this evening with Udo Carlson. Oh, there you go. You see, you're right. If Udo says it, then it's right. If Udo says it, it must be true. Um, So the book is called The Victorian Internet. Yeah, so yeah, I hope it's called that, right? It's a couple of years since I read it, but if I'm wrong, then I'll tweet the correct link later on. So so, yeah, but um, so so that was the the one point. But I think absolutely, the, the, the challenge for our companies is is and again, I'm not trying to promote some ethereal agenda that's, mm-hmm. that's not possible. I'm asking them to acknowledge that there are fundamental principles to this web, to this era of business that I think are fundamentally and di- diametrically opposed to the principles that built industrial age business. Our opportunity is to embrace those. There we go. Mike Stopforth, he is the chief executive of Cerebra. He's also the author of a fantastic new book called Brand Schizo, 